We thank you for visiting Christian Bible Temple and pray the following message speaks to your heart. This morning, asking the Lord's blessing on this service and the one to follow on this beautiful morning. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come before your presence this morning thankful for another day and Lord especially for this day in which we come to worship you in spirit and in truth and also Lord to be taught by you your holy word we pray O oh father this morning that every heart will be open to you and that Lord your word might penetrate deeply as good seed penetrates beautiful and good soil. We ask, O oh Lord, that you speak to our hearts. May your precious Holy Spirit today guide us into all truth. May you speak to us and help us to see your, your will, and especially, Father, today as we talk about this subject we're going to talk about, we ask, Lord, that you open our hearts, the hearts of everyone, to receive this as coming from you, because these are not the oracles of men, but the oracles of God. We worship you and praise you this day, and ask for those who are probably still on their way, and we pray for those who are not able to be here today due to illness, and we ask, O oh God, that you will speak to every heart and minister also to everyone, wherever they are. We commit this day into your hands and also ask that if anybody comes through these doors without the assurance of sins forgiven, without the joy of an eternal life in heaven, we pray, O oh God, that today they will make sure of that before it is eternally too, too late. We thank you and praise you this morning, committing this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I'm going to ask you this morning to open your Bibles in two different portions of Scripture to begin. The first one is found in the prophet Isaiah, chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 9, a very familiar verse of Scripture. that many times we remember and we read it during Christmas. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says, For unto us, A child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That one verse of Scripture tells us volumes of truth. The other uh, verse of scripture that I would like you to look at this morning is found in Revelation chapter 22, the last chapter in the Bible. So today we're not speaking from Genesis, the first book of the Bible, but we are reading a verse from the very last book the last chapter of the last book, almost, almost the last verse of the Word of God. It says here in verse 18 and 19 of Revelation 22, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of, this, of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, 
God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. Now, why do we read those two books? I mean, those two verses of scripture uh, from two different books. Because they tell us something in common. Now, we're going to see as we look at the subject this morning. What is the subject this morning? The subject this morning is Jesus Christ our wonderful counselor. When we read Isaiah 9-6, I know that in your Bibles it probably says, wonderful, comma, counselor, comma, mighty God, comma, and so on. In the Hebrew Bible, it does not say, wonderful, comma, counselor. It says, wonderful counselor. It's all one. The Lord Jesus Christ promised he would build his church and that the gates of hell would not prevail against her. He said this in the context of warning his disciples to beware of man's full religiousness at the time. And he, that's when he uh, mentions the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What is the leaven of the Pharisees? The text there explains to us that the Lord, referring to the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, which were the religious leaders at the time, is talking about their doctrine. And the Lord says, beware of their doctrine. Okay? When the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth, he did not find a biblical Judaism. He found what we even have today, a rabbinical Judaism. The commandments of men, and that's why he clashed with those leaders throughout the Gospels, okay? And this has held true throughout the ages. And you know what? The church is still alive. Throughout the centuries, if you read the uh, history of the church, you're going to find that the church has been persecuted. Many Christians lost their lives, burned at the stake, or in chambers of torture, or every other kind of persecution you can imagine. And they stood for one thing. What they stood for was the Word of God. They refused to deny God's Word. They valued God's Word. The tragedy we have today in our churches is that in many churches, people ignore the Word of God, or they dilute the Word of God, or they twist the Word of God, or they minimize the Word of God. And this morning, throughout this week, the Lord has been impressing upon my heart, and I'm usually not a mystic. I'm a Greek. One plus one is two. But there are moments when the Lord leads you, and I got confirmation even yesterday morning in my devotional that this is what the Lord wants me to speak about today, to make our church aware of this danger that is assailing our churches today. The Lord promised that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against her, and it holds true even today. But the enemy, the devil, hates the church, and he hates the word. And from the very beginning, he has attacked her in many different ways. Even the apostles in the first century of the uh, Christian era, faced in their time various human philosophies, religious and uh, religions and beliefs, all stemming from minds darkened by the enemy, minds blinded to the truth, no matter how sophisticated 
they claim to be. We see that because the Apostle Paul and the other apostles faced a Roman, a Greco-Roman world filled with the philosophies of men. And we all remember, if we read the book of Acts, <coughs> chapter 17, <coughs> excuse me, when the uh, Apostle Paul went to Athens on Mars Hill, the Areopagus, he clashed with the philosophers of that time, the Greek philosophers, different schools of philosophers. He clashed. And what was the result? A few people got saved, but most of them mocked. And that's the same today. Some people will listen to the word of God, but most people today mock. And we as Christians must not be intimidated by that, nor be caught in the current of this world. Now, this is one of the reasons why the New Testament writers penned the, book, the books of the New Testament. Okay, so I will ask you this morning to pay close attention to what I am saying to you, because it is for your own good. Okay? Uh, and the good, of course, it's the good of our church, the good of your home and family, because the error... It's always, error is always very subtle and will make you think that you're doing okay. That's what it's called the deceitfulness of sin. Sin will deceive, dece uh, dece uh, deceive you and make you think you're on the right path. There is a way that seems right to a man or a woman, but the end of it are the ways of death. So here we see that the writers of the New Testament wrote all the books of the New Testament with a godly doctrine which has been the instructor, the tutor and counselor of every believer to combat every heresy, false doctrine, humanistic philosophies, and all other kinds of error since that time till today. But there is nothing new under the sun, as we are told in Ecclesiastes. The church continues enduring the enemy's attacks, which, though in, with different names, are still the same old lies Satan uses against the church. This is why, uh, one of uh, the main reasons why believers, all of us, need to read need to study and meditate on the Bible, the word of God, not the word of man. In order to avoid being deceived by these very subtle philosophies, the world and the devil throw at believers, causing them to go away from the scriptures and to embrace the world's humanistic teachings and methods. To the point many have come to believe that the Bible, prayer, the Holy Spirit, and the church are not enough. Ignorance of the Bible is deadly. Let me repeat that. Ignorance of the Bible is deadly. You might as well go home and have a piece of steak with arsenic. That's how deadly it is. And that's why so many people are swept away and carried away by every wind of doctrine to and fro, like the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, carry to and fro from every uh, wind of doctrine. Because they are not well-founded in the Word of God. Do not fall for the worldly ideas, the fads, and methods this world offers you. Those things only weaken the purity of the faith once delivered to us. Christianity is the solution to all our problems because Christ is the wonderful counselor. Not man. So be alert. Be alert and be careful.
First of all, let me say that God has equipped us <clears throat> with all we need for life. Open with me one second. If you have your Bibles there, and I hope you do. Second Peter, or your phones, whatever. Book of Second Peter, chapter 1. Now, mind you, this is the last book that Peter wrote. He only wrote two. First Peter, Second Peter. This is the last book. And here, he knows that his time is short. He knows he's going to be killed soon. Just like the Apostle Paul knew in Second Timothy. If you were about to die and you knew it, what would be the most important thing you would want others to know? If you knew you had little time, and if you know that you have little time, you would not want to spend it talking about nonsense or secondary issues. You would want the people that you love to know the truth. And this is what Peter does here. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, he finishes the epistle. The very last verse he wrote in his life was, but grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice he says, the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He doesn't say the knowledge of the world. Doesn't say the philosophies of the Greek philosophers. Doesn't talk about Jewish fables, rabbinical superstitions. He's talking about the knowledge of Christ. But in the first verse, from the very beginning of the epistle, he says, Simon Peter, a bond servant. Notice he says a bond servant. He doesn't say Pope. A bond servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. So who is he writing to? He's writing to believers. Because he uses the pronoun us. Okay? Those who have obtained precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his divine power has given to us Notice the, first, the next word. It's a preposition. What is the next word there? What? All. Not some. Not few. All. All things. He has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. What does this verse of scripture, or this portion of scripture, tell us? It tells us that we have a precious faith given to us by God's righteousness. And our Savior, Jesus Christ. We are promised grace and peace when we know the Lord. And that's the requirement. You need to know the Lord. He gave us by his divine power, notice, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. The reason? He challenges us to know him. In the prophet Jeremiah, we have the verses in chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, where the Lord tells the people, says, Let not the rich man enjoy, uh, glory in his riches, nor the mighty man in his strength, nor the wise man in his wisdom. But if anyone wants to glory, wants to boast, let him glory in this, that he knows me and fears me. God, God's will is for his people to know him, and to know him intimately. How intimate is your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? 
Only you can answer that question. And this was Paul's aim in life. What does he say? That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. What was Paul's desire? His desire was to know the Lord as intimately as he could possibly. And let me tell you, Paul was a man of letters. He had studied under the best rabbi, best teacher in Judaism in Jerusalem, Gamaliel. He knew Greek philosophy. He confronted the philosophers in Athens. He confronted the Jews everywhere he went, the unbelieving Jews. He knew the Bible. He knew the Old Testament. He wrote most of the books of the New Testament. And he was a man of letters. He was no dummy. And yet, what was his goal? He tells us his testimony in that chapter in Philippians. He was uh, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews, perfect regarding the law, zealous, totally committed, persecuted the church. And he says, whatever things were gained to me, those are counted as loss. And yes, I counted even as dung, garbage, in order to gain the knowledge, the treasury, the treasure of the knowledge of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How precious is Jesus to you? We have exceedingly great and precious promises to partake of the divine nature having escaped the lusts of this world. So God has equipped us with all we need for life. Secondly, we are complete because of Christ's redemptive work. What did the Lord Jesus Christ say on the cross when he was crucified? It is what? Finished. What's finished? His redemptive work. He completed it. Can we add anything to it? Can we take anything away from it? A lot of Christians these days seem to, or they think they can. Jesus finished his work of redemption. He fulfilled and completed it. He left out nothing, and man, regardless of how many diplomas he has, can add nothing to it. In him, we have all we need. And uh, let me say this, we have all we need and more. In the book of 1 Corinthians, in chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, again, is talking to the Corinthian believers, and he says, But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God. Oh, what? what? What is Jesus? Wisdom from God. So if he is our wisdom, do we need the world's wisdom? and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. That as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. We have all we need, and we have his grace that is sufficient in every situation of life. When the Apostle Paul was going through all the trials he went through, he prayed three times to the Lord and asked him, Lord, take away this thorn from my flesh. And what did the Lord answer him? He said, my grace is sufficient to you. Are you going through problems? Are you? His grace is sufficient. Are you problem free? How many of you are problem free? Nothing going wrong. Good. That means God is working. Because if you told me that you are fine, smooth sail down the river, I'd be worried about you. <clears throat> it means the devil is not giving you any trouble. 
But we see here that the Apostle Paul, boy, did he have trouble. And yet the Lord said to him, my grace is sufficient to you. Also, we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, we're told by Paul in Ephesians 1.3. We are blessed with every blessing in high places, in heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. He has perfected us forever by one offering only. Open with me to the book of Hebrews. Here we're going, today we're going to really live up to our name. Christian Bible Temple. Look in Hebrews 10 and in verse 14. Very clearly, the writer of Hebrews tells us this. For by one offering, how many offerings? One. Did Jesus need to be sacrificed over and over and over and over again? No. By one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So let me tell you this this morning. Jesus has made you perfect. It, not in your practice, but in your position, in your standing. Okay? One day, he'll also make you perfect the other way also. But so far, we still are in the old, have the old nature, but he has made us perfect in him, positionally. Okay? We are complete in Christ. What else can anyone want? Let me ask you a question. If I come to your house and you cook up a banquet and you prepare the best of food, that you can possibly offer. And I come to your house, and instead of eating your food, I bring a can of <coughs> Alpo. <coughs> you know what Al <coughs> Alpo is? My goodness, you haven't lived. Alpo is dog food, cat food. So I come to your house and you have a banquet prepared for me, a rosa bichuela y carne, and I come with alpo. And I open the can in front of you on the table and you're, you're offering me the best of, that you have and I'm eating dog food. How would you feel? Well, that's how God feels when you are not satisfied and you don't take his word, but you go out to find wisdom in the world. And I know that most people don't do that because they are evil. They do it because they don't know. So that's why I'm trying to educate you this morning as best I can. Because we are complete in Christ. He made us perfect with one offering. Go to Colossians chapter 2. Now this is a book written by the Apostle Paul to combat the problem that we're talking about that assailed the church in Colossae. Chapter 2 of Colossians, and in verse 10. Look what the Apostle Paul says there to the believers in verse 10, chapter 2 of Colossians. And you, he's talking to the believers, are what? What are they? Complete, not by themselves, complete in Him, in Jesus who is the head of all principality and power. What else can anyone want? In him we have every spiritual resource. We have strength, wisdom, comfort, joy, peace, meaning, value, purpose, hope, and fulfillment in life now and for eternity. But of course... The enjoyment of all this depends on how close your relationship is with him. Who is he who is going to be better satisfied? The one who eats more and the one, or the one who eats less? I should think the one who eats more, right? How close are you to the source? Because the Lord is the source. The closer you are to Jesus, the more you'll enjoy these privileges. The farther <coughs> you are 
from him, the less you will enjoy them. And it will tempt you to try to have man and the world supply your needs. That's why you have so many believers going to psychiatrists and psychologists these days. Oh, but I'm going to a Christian one. Really? Where was a Christian psychologist trained? Even if he was trained in a Christian school, what curriculum did they use? Was it a Christian curriculum or was it, uh, was it the Bible? Or was it a human wisdom? Silence. Think about it. Many churches today are resorting to gimmicks to meet spiritual needs. Not the primitive church. Not the church of the apostles in the first century. They knew the right thing. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Acts 2.42. That's what they practiced. And I don't read in the Bible that any of them had psychological problems and they were persecuted all over the place. The problem nowadays is that the emphasis is not on God and his word, it's not on the Bible, it's not on doctrine. The emphasis in churches today is on me. Many Christians ignore the Lord's sufficiency and don't understand they are complete in Christ. That ignorance has opened the door for all kinds of wrong influences. Bad doctrine. Some people ask me sometimes if I know of a good church somewhere. It's hard to find one. Because most churches these days, I would not recommend. Or I should say a lot of churches today I would not recommend. I'm no judge, but I can tell by the doctrine. The first thing I tell people when they go somewhere else is check the doctrine, check the pastor, check his family. Bad doctrine. Another problem with churches, they have the right doctrine, but they have another problem. What? Legalism. Being there, done that. Legalism. Legalism will kill your spirituality. Let me tell you that. It's a poor substitute for spirituality. It's all flesh. Commandments of men. Humanism. Man is sufficient. That's the tragedy of it. Man is not sufficient. I gotta believe in have to believe in myself. If you believe in yourself, I feel sorry for you. Because my Bible tells me that the heart is desperately wicked. And it deceives you. I, I quoted verse before. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end are the ways of death. Humanism. Man is sufficient. That's what John warns us about in first, the first epistle. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man or woman loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him or her. For all that is in the world... The lust, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and listen, and the pride of life. You know what the pride of life is? Pride of life is that man is sufficient unto himself. And John tells us, the first epistle of John was written exactly for the reason of combating this problem they were facing back then, which is called Gnosticism. Wrong kind of knowledge. And we're facing it today. Humanism, secular philosophies and methods. All these and many more are eating away the Christian foundations of the church with devastating results. These are nothing more than satanic assaults. The word warns us about fellowship, uh, following rather hollow human teachings. We need to follow Christ alone and his word. 
If you're in Colossians, look right there in verse 8. What is the first word in your Bible from in verse 8? What is your fir the first word? Beware. What does beware mean? Warning. Be careful. Be on the lookout. Be alert. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit. According to the tradition of men, that's humanism. According to the basic principles of the world, that's humanism. And not according to Christ. For in him, that is in Christ, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwells. And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. In other words, Christ is sufficient for everything we need in life. Eh? Third thing that we have here is that believers have in Christ everything they need. Open with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And let me tell you, Paul is writing here to probably the worst church of all, Church of Corinth. They had so many problems, it took two epistles. <laughs> As a matter of fact, he wrote four epistles to the Corinthians, but only two remain in the canon. The other two were not inspired. But look what he says to them. And God is able to make all grace. Remember what the Apostle Paul told us in chapter 12, verse 9 of 2 Corinthians? My grace is what? Sufficient. But God, he says, is able to make all grace abound. He doesn't just give us grace by the uh, little drops. He gives us grace in oceans of abundance. Okay? Eh? is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always have in all sufficiency, in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Notice how many times the word abundance and the word all appears in just this one verse. We have all, 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 all. I'm going to say to you in Greek, ¿Cuál es la parte que no entienden? Huh? Which part don't people, don't people understand? When God says all, what does he mean? All. That's a monumental conclusion. Okay? From the moment a believer is saved, he is in, pay attention, he is in Christ. Doesn't the Apostle Paul say that in that very book, 2 Corinthians 5.17? Doesn't he say, if any man or woman is in Christ, he's a new what? Creation. Now, is every believer in Christ? Let me ask you the question again. You didn't hear me. Is every believer in Christ? If he's not in Christ, he's not a believer. Now, I, I grant you that some people claim to be believers, and they are not. But if a true believer is a, is a true believer, he is in Christ. Now, when we are saved, from the moment we're saved, we are in Christ. Not only that, but Christ is also in us. How do I know that? Again, Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul there says, To them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. What's the mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. So when we are saved, not only are we believers, not only... Are, listen, I'm going I'm to make it personal. When you are saved, not only you are in Christ, but Christ is in you. 
Okay? Why? Because first of all, he regenerated us. Born again means regenerated. Doesn't mean repaired or fixed or remodeled. It means regenerated. Done all over again, new. Paul says in Titus, he saved us not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of what? Regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Titus 3.5. Not only that, but he baptized us. Baptized us in the Holy Spirit. Unto you has been given, whether Jew or Gentile, you have been made to drink of the same spirit. The verb in the Greek there is in the passive tense. Means that the believer receives the action. God is the one that did the baptism. I am not the one that is seeking the baptism. That's why when Pentecostals talk, they don't know what they're talking about. Have you received? Did you ask for the baptism? You don't need to ask for the baptism. They don't even know what the baptism is. It has nothing to do with tongues. It has to do with identity. When the Lord baptized you into his body, well, you know what he gave you? He gave you the driver's license, your ID. Got that? And that's not something you and I seek. We already have it if we're believers. So he baptized us. He regenerated us, baptized us. He sealed us with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.13. After you believed in him, the word of truth, you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Sealed. When you seal food in a plastic bag, what happens to the food? Hmm? No, on the contrary, you keep it. You seal food hermetically, put it in the freezer, it preserves it. What deteriorates food? Oxygen. Do you ever leave an apple outside for 10 minutes? What happens to the apple? Oxidizes. An avocado, same thing. But when something is sealed hermetically, no air enters, it's preserved. And that's what the Holy Spirit does with us. He preserves us until the day of redemption. We're kept in him. Not only that, but he indwells us. He lives inside of us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit as believers. And we are filled by the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. That's the only thing we need to ask for all the time. Because many times we are empty. So we have to ask to be refilled. Okay? He is the temple. The believer is the temple of the Holy Spirit. God's fullness is in him. That's why in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, we read these words. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. Chapter 1, verse 16. How many of us have received the grace? All. All these treasures we have in earthen vessels. The Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. All these treasures that God has for us are in earthen vessels. The bodies, our old nature, they're there. There is nothing more that can make the Christian more spiritual or provide something better for him. Certainly nothing coming from human or worldly resources. All we need is the true knowledge of him. Like we read before in 2 Peter chapter 1. And we have everything. When you have the knowledge of him, you have everything. But Satan has always tried to beguile believers from Adam till today. That's why the Apostle Paul says also in 2 Corinthians 11.3 that Satan comes in as an angel of what? Light.
Yesterday, I saw something on, on my brother-in-law's phone. He showed me a reporter interviewing a preacher who has a private plane, and he's standing with a, the most luxurious car there, and she's asking him if that's a good testimony to have for the preacher to have so, so much money and a plane. And he justifies, he ju tried to justify everything. Oh, I, I travel all the time, and I don't want to travel with people and do this, you know, see the things that they do. He said that on the one hand. On the other hand, he says he loves people and da-da-da-da, blah, 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 blah. And she kept on hammering the same question. Yeah, but is this, do you take this plane to your private vacation places? Yes, I do. And at one point, she asked a question that triggered him, and he got into her face, and you could see almost the devil coming out of his face. If I tell you the name, you probably know who he is. But I'm not going to tell you the name. You can wait for me in the corner there after the service and I'll tell you. The devil comes in like an angel of light. So how can you know if someone is of God or not? Well, the Lord said it 2,000 years ago, by their fruits. Because the devil is not going to come as the devil. You ever see the cartoons about the devil? He's got horns, a tail, and a trident, and he's at the door of hell saying, come in. First of all, the devil is not in hell. We know from the book of Job that he roams to and fro on the earth, and he tempted the Lord Jesus when he was on the earth here, right? The devil is not in hell. He's never going to be in hell. He's going to end up in the lake of fire, but not in hell. Got that? I'm being a little technical, but I just want you to know. that You know what the devil is? He's sitting right here. So be careful. And not only here. He's sitting in me. I know. He's not omniscient. Uh, I mean, I'll be present. But he's got his demons all over the place. They'll go and gossip to him. And he's not going to come and tell you, don't read the Bible. No, he's not going to do that. He's going to say to you, oh, read it tomorrow. And don't be such a fanatic about it. You don't have to go to church today. It's a beautiful day outside. Go enjoy yourself. God wants you to enjoy yourself. Those are the little things he throws at us. Today I read something. I don't know if you guys read it in the Days of Praise. No, it was not in the Days of Praise. It was in the uh, Good Seed. Where the Bible says there, the Lord says, One of you shall betray me. And the Lord tells Judas what you're going to do, do quickly. And the Bible says that he went out, and it was night. And it says, as soon as he, the Lord told him that, and he took off and departed, the devil entered into him. Do you know that Judas Iscariot is the only human being the Bible tells us was indwelt by the devil himself? And I'm telling you that, and I'm getting goosebumps all over my body. That is horrible. People may be demon-possessed, but the Bible doesn't tell anything about anybody that the devil entered into them except Judas Iscariot. And the Lord, that's why the Lord says it would have been better if he had never been born. But the devil comes in like an angel of light. He's not going to come in looking like the devil. He's going to come to you looking like a movie star, handsome, or a beautiful woman, an angel of light, and talking nicely to you. Probably behind the pulpit. You don't get any ideas. Okay? But there are a lot of them behind pulpits today. So be careful. So we see 
comes like an angel of light to deceive people and make them willing to follow him and forsake the truth for anything new or unusual. Remember that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of, the, of wisdom and knowledge, we're told in Colossians. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. No psychiatrist, no psychologist, no counselor, no minister, nobody has that. Only Jesus. Paul warned the believers, making them aware of the world's methods. And we read that just before, didn't we? Now, these include humanistic philosophy. You know what, with um, uh, humanistic, I meant uh, psychology. Do you know what the word psychology means? It means, the stu it's a Greek word, so I ought to know, right? Means the study of the soul. Psyche, in Greek, is soul. Logos is study. Problem is that psychology, which is supposed to study the soul, does not study the soul. It only studies behavior. Any psychologist, or any psychiatrist, I should say, you go to, is not going to go into your soul because he doesn't know your soul. Only God knows your soul. He's only going to observe your behavior, and he's going to try to give you advice based on that. In other words, it studies only the external in a person, not the internal. So the problems that we have are not external. The problems that we have are internal. Okay? And after he tries to analyze your external behavior, the psychiatrist ends up blaming everyone and everything else for your problems. Oh, it was your father, and it was your mother, and it was your, uh, you know, husband, and it was your wife, and it was this, and it was that, and your, your school, and the teacher who traumatized you. That is everybody else's fault except yours, which means no solution. And you walk out of his office hating the world. So you're worse off than when you went in. Eh? Does not give a real solution. Including the so-called Christian psychologists who use worldly rather than biblical methods to reach a solution to solve the problems. The problem that we all have, dear brethren, is called sin. It's not the emotions even though they're involved, because sin affects everything, doesn't it? Sin affects your body, affects your mind, affects your spirit, affects everything. Now, the word is, pay, pay attention here. Don't you fall asleep on me, I'll sit on you. I mean, stay up hours and hours to prepare the message for you to sit to sleep. Sin. Very short word, isn't it? Short word, big problem. Do you know why it's such a big problem, that little word? Because what is the middle letter of that word? Hmm? You said it. You. That's the problem. The I. Okay? Another method used today in churches is called pragmatism, which is the use of entertainment to attract unbelievers and amuse them, making them feel comfortable in church with the hope they will come to salvation. If we bring unbelievers and we have some beautiful entertainment up here, they're going to feel at home and eventually they might get saved. Well, that's not the way to do it. Okay? This is not the way true Christians have done it since the beginning of the church. We read Acts 2.42 before, right? The, the apostles' doctrine, prayer, breaking of bread, witnessing. Many churches have even dropped preaching and teaching the word of God and have embraced a philosophy that teaches the church must go down to the level of where unbelievers are and God's work cannot be done 
I'll tell you, with Philistine methods. And then the last problem that we have is mysticism. Now, this is a very dangerous one. It looks for truth through feelings, intuition, and any other internal sensations rather than the Bible. Oh, I feel this. Oh, I saw a vision. If you see anybody seeing a vision, run the other way. It's not from the Lord. Eh? It reaches, it teaches that light comes from within man, not from God and his word. Doesn't the Lord say, I am the light of the world? So where the light, does the light come from? From? He said, I am the light of the world. So where does light come from? Who? Jesus. And then he says, your word is a light unto my feet, a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. What illumines your path? The word. Nowhere in the Bible are we told that light comes from within man. There's nothing good dwelling in man. The man is, the Bible says the heart is desperately wicked. And even the apostle Paul said it. He said, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. Don't be deceived. This uh, mysticism, the, 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 uh, the philosophy of mysticism is it's what one feels, not what God says. It's subjective faith, not objective. You heard me say that before. And what are the examples of mysticism? Hinduism is one of them. You ever hear people today talking about karma and mantra? Where do you think those things come from? From Hinduism. Now let me ask you a question. In India, they practice Hinduism. Has that solved their problems? It's one of the worst countries in the world when it comes to spiritual things. People are enslaved to that. And so they bring it here. And ignorant people here embrace that because it's something new. Not only Hinduism, but all kinds of Eastern religions. And let me tell you this, the charismatics. The preacher I was talking to you about before that was being interviewed by this reporter, he's a charismatic. And there was another one, I don't know if you heard it, there was a shooting in his, at his church a couple of weeks ago. You know what he came out and said after that? God told me that would happen. Listen, if God tells me there's going to be a shooting here, I ain't opening the church. Huh? Is that how much he loves his people? First of all, we know that that is not true. But that's what they do. And they tell that to people, and people believe that. God spoke to me. I used to be under a man that used to say that all the time. I feel God wants me to say something here. Who are you? Who are you? Oh, I'm the pastor of the church. Big deal. Shut up and sit down. You know what my motto is behind this pulpit? The deacons know this, and maybe you know it too. My motto behind this pulpit is... He must increase, I must decrease. I never say God told me. The only way God tells me is through his word. You want, to, you want God to speak? Read his word. Like people come and say, how come God doesn't speak to me? Well, is your Bible open or closed? If you want God to speak to you, open your Bible. Is the Bible powerful? Oh boy, you better believe it. And if you don't believe me, I'll try it. So what does mysticism say? Mysticism says, it says, what does the Bible mean to me? Instead of, what does the Bible mean? It's not what the Bible means to you is what the Bible means, period. 
there was a little chorus they used to sing, uh, you know, kids used to sing many years ago, uh, or, or, or a, state, a statement that was, they would say bumper stickers and, and said, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Well, let me tell you, that's wrong. I would change the bumper sticker and say, God said it, and that settles it. Whether you believe it or not, God said it. Now, if you believe it, you'll benefit. If you don't believe it, you're lost. God doesn't need your belief or mine to be true. He's an absolute, and his word is an absolute. The Bible is a constant absolute. No man, no, not man and his feelings. All this has been the cause of many false gospels out there promising all kinds of things and pointing people away from the core of the Bible message. Christ's person and his redemptive work. That's the message. The devil distracts people's attention from the most important thing, their salvation and their relationship with God. That's why the Apostle Paul says, if any man come, anyone comes to you and preaches to you another gospel than the one you have received, let him be anathema, accursed. Because that's not from God. This is from God. Not the phone, but the word of God. Okay? Open with me to uh, one, one more verse, verse of scripture. Psalm. Look at Psalms. The book of Psalms. Chap uh, Psalm 138. I've been coming across this verse time and again and again. It's amazing. Look what David says here in Psalm 138, verse 2. Pay attention. <clears throat> look at this. Look at it. Look at the verse. And if you have a Bible, look with the person next to you. Come to church with your Bible or your phone. Look what it says there. I will worship toward your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and for your truth. Look, that, look at this next thing. For you, David is talking to God, isn't he? For you have magnified your word above all your name. God himself has magnified his word above his own name. And there's nothing higher than God's name. So if he honors his word like that, how much more should we? All these forms of Gnosticism with new names. Okay? Paul confronted this problem in Colossa by pointing to our sufficiency in Christ. And we already saw that in Colossians chapter 2, verse 10. I want to end this morning reading one verse from the prophet Isaiah. We began with Isaiah, and we'll finish with Isaiah. Thus says the Lord. Who says it? Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God, who teaches you to profit who leads you by the way you should go. So who teaches and leads us? Who is our teacher and our leader, our counselor? The Lord. This is all the philosophy you need. You know, it's not a matter of counseling. It's a matter of obedience. It's a matter of appropriating what God says in your life. Not being just hearers of the word, but doers of the same. Lest you deceive yourselves. I didn't write a Bible. I only preach it. 
I hope this has helped to clarify a few things in your life today. Because the only thing I care about of our congregation is to make sure that you are taught properly and that you are protected from the guiles of the devil, which are very common today. I mean, they've always been, but we're living in the last days, and in these last days you're going to hear a lot of nonsense, more than ever. The Lord warned us about that. So make sure you stay close to God and his word. Close to God and his word. Cultivate an intimate relationship with him. And I'll tell you this, your life will be a better life. We thank you for listening to this message and pray that the word of God spoke to your heart. To listen to previous sermons, please visit us at www.cbttbc.com or anchor.fm forward slash cbt hyphen sermons.